If you have your Bibles, go ahead and open to Psalm chapter 11. That's where we're going to be today. Um, couple uh, side note here. Um, one of our nursery leaders uh, was called out during the uh, just music time because we needed more um, more volunteers in the nursery today. Uh, just so you know, there are times we've instructed um, our nursery workers. Uh, we've had so many kids, and we're trying to make sure there's a correct uh, adult to child worker ratio. Um, that they will come in and they'll hold up a sign that says, look, we need more, because somehow, you know, all of a sudden they have 10, 12, 16 kids. That's 17 in there, I think, a couple weeks ago. Uh, so we'll stop service if that happens. We're just going to have to say, look, we need more people. We do that just because we need more people. And so if that happens, just encourage you, just one of you just jump up and go. Looks like we already have someone there today. But just want you to know, that's a growing pain, and it's a good growing pain. It's kind of we're still trying to figure it out. We're trying to get more workers on a regular basis. Um, but yeah, so I just want to share that with you. It is a good problem to have, but it's still kind of like, man, how are we handling this and how are we doing it? Um, uh, so just kind of throwing that out at you. Uh, we're going to be in Psalm 11. This is our last week in the Psalms, so I am happy and sad. Uh, again, I told you, Psalms are hard for me, so uh, I'm kind of glad it's the last week, but it, it's good for me every, every year, too, when we come to the Psalms. I love the Psalms. Um, it is a lot of work for me. Uh, secondly, uh, next week, we're going to start in uh, really a, a leadership series. We're going to really look at who are elders, what is the role of an elder, um, why do we have elders, and so we're going to spend seven weeks on, on really looking at that topic, and we're really just going to dive in on, on what is the problem in the New Testament that elders primarily address? Why is it so fundamental for the church to have them? And so a couple reasons we're going to do this. For one, it's going to instruct us on why we have elders. Uh, so you might be wondering, why do we have elders? What's the importance of elders? So number one reason we're going to go through this is for instruction, that we would know um, why we have that. Uh, the second reason is to encourage you that uh, God may be leading you to be an elder within the church. Um, so I want to make sure that we all know that elders are not supermen or anything. They're just men who love Jesus and that they've been growing in their life with Jesus and they're desiring to share Jesus with others. And so um, we um, want to encourage you that way. Um, yeah, so we'll be starting that series next week, so I'm excited about that. I've not come up with a series title for it, but I have up until Friday when we print the bulletins to have that for you. I, just so you know, I, I'm not good at titles. Like, I, that is like my most dreaded part. Every week, a sermon, it needs a title. And I, I just, anyways, that's a side point. I'm not good with titles. We're just going to dive in today, Psalm 11. I encourage you, uh, let's stand as we read the Word of God. We stand as simply a means of, of honoring God, of respecting Him, of saying, this Bible, this Word that you have given us is like no other. It is the very Word of God and comes from His, uh, from his breath with His authority. Psalm 11, verse 1. In the Lord I take refuge. How can you say to my soul, flee like a bird to your mountain? For behold, the wicked bend the bow. They have fitted their arrow to the string to shoot in the dark at the upright in heart. If the foundations are destroyed, what can the righteous do? The Lord is in his holy temple. 
The Lord's throne is in heaven. His eyes see. His eyelids test the children of man. The Lord tests the righteous, but his soul hates the wicked and the one who loves violence. Let him rain coals on the wicked, fire and sulfur and scorching wind shall be the portion of their cup. For the Lord is righteous. He loves righteous deeds. The upright shall behold his face. Let's pray. Father, we, um, we come to you now. and You are a good, holy God. And Lord, today we see that you are the eternal, supreme king and our righteous judge. Lord, you sit upon high on your throne. Your rule is never thwarted. And we praise you that every decision, every action that you take is full of righteousness. You are holy in every way. There is no sin within you. There is no perversion. Everything you do is glorious and good, and we love you. Father, I pray that now through your word today that the truth of who you are would be of great comfort to us, would provide peace to us, would also be a means of helping us as we navigate life here on earth that we would respond in a wise, God-honoring way in situations when they rise. Lord, we thank you for your word. Strengthen us today in our faith. In your name, Jesus, amen. You all may be seated. Um, If you have any questions during the sermon, I encourage you to text them to um, the number up on the screen. At the end, we we try to take some time to answer some questions that you might have. we don't always know the context of the Psalms. Like in this Psalm, we don't know exactly what is happening. We see that David is being pursued. We see that the foundations are being destroyed, and we'll look at what that means. Um, it's a good thing that we don't always know the context. When we don't know the context, as we often do not in the Psalms, what that allows us to do is be a little more free with our application, which is really good because certain people would read this if it was a certain context and they would say, oh, well, God is only good and righteous and holy in this situation, but my situation isn't that, so maybe God's not going to respond in the exact same way. But what we have oftentimes when we come to the Psalms is we don't know the exact context, which therefore will allow us to uh, more freely apply the meaning to our lives. And so I just want to remind you, that's a good thing. James Montgomery Boyce, uh, a pastor who has now passed away, he said, this is an amazing Psalm that contains faith's response to fear's counsel. And those words kind of help me shape the, uh, the sermon a little bit. We're going to first look at the temptation of fear, and then we'll look at the response of faith. If you look at the first line in verse 1, that's, that's the response of faith. So go ahead and just skip that line, and we're going to go to line 2. How can you say to my soul, flee like a bird to a mountain? Something terrible has happened, and David has been advised to run. There are wicked people trying to attack him. We see that they're, they're sneaking, they're moving around in the dark. They have their arrows, which is often terminology we come across in the Psalms of the wicked. They have their arrows. They're shooting at the righteous, especially in the dark. Um, how bad is the situation? Well, verse 3 says, If the foundations are destroyed, what can the righteous do? So what does it mean if the foundations are destroyed. Well, that would refer to justice. It would refer to social order. Uh, so apparently, whatever, whatever has been happening has taken, um, all, all social order has been destroyed. 
This might be referring to when Absalom, the son of David, uh, created a rebellion and they tried to overthrow the kingdom and David had to run and flee the kingdom. Perhaps it could be when David was running from his life for his life from Saul and he went to the priests of Nob. They gave him some bread. They gave him Goliath's sword. Saul found out. They helped him. He slaughtered all the priests. Could be referring to that. Again, we don't know. It could be simply referring to uh, people taking advantage of the poor, women being mistreated, land being stolen from others. We do not know the exact situation. But it's devastating, and it's causing the question, if all social order has been destroyed, if all justice has been done away with. Now, a preacher in the early 20th century said, verse 3, this passage, the foundations are destroyed. What can the righteous do? He said, this is the burning question of our day. And then in the in 1990s, James Montgomery Boyce said, I think this is the burning question of our day. And so I think we can simply echo that today and say this is probably one of the burning questions of our day. I mean, if you, if you think about it, ISIS continues to attack, and there seems to be regular terrorist attacks throughout the world. Over the last year here in America, uh, racism has definitely made its way to the front of the headlines so we've, been, we've seen that a lot more. There has been a huge increase in the shooting of police officers. They're shooting in elementary schools, shooting in high schools and colleges and movie theaters. Throughout the world, Christians are being more persecuted today than they have been before. In this presidential election, I mean, so many of us are going, well, who do I vote for? It's a lesser of two evils. And, and many Christians I talk to just seem like, well, what do we do? Do we just run? And it seems that chaos is, is definitely on the brink. So what do we do as believers? How do we respond to all of these events? What do we do as, as the righteous, as those who believe in Jesus Christ? Are we to hide? Are we to remove ourselves from society? Or do we stand at a distance and simply scoff as if we're not really a part of society? In every situation, I think if we boil it down to the most fundamental, that there's two choices that we make. It's, it's to follow God, to fear God, to trust in God, or not? Or you just come down to whatever situation. Are we going to trust in God in this situation? Or are we not going to trust in God in this situation? Um, here, we see David is responding in faith. We'll look at that in a second. But the advice is to flee like a bird to your mountain. And now, running is not always a lack of faith. Um, in Acts when persecution came upon the church, what did the church do? It fled. And what did that do? It accomplished the purpose of the gospel going to the nations. So that was accomplishing God's will. That wasn't a lack of faith. They were coming to kill them. And they said, we should leave so we don't die. So it's not always a lack of faith to run. When, Abs when, when David ran from Absalom, it wasn't a lack of faith. He was literally going to die if he stayed in his kingdom. Um, so it's not always wise to, it's not always unwise to run, but in this situation, David says, no, we can't run, we can't flee. He sees that his running would be unwise, foolish, and a lack of faith in his God. So what, what does he do? Well, we see in verse 1 the response of faith. He says, in the Lord I take refuge. Some of you might be new to the Psalms, and you're going, well, what does that mean? And, and the word refuge, it occurs, um, I believe, 47 times in the Psalms. Let me just read a few examples, and I think as, as I read these, um, you're going to see what the meaning of the word refuge is. Psalm 34, 8. 
Oh, taste and see that the Lord is good. Blessed is the man who takes refuge in him. There's a joy. There's a goodness. There's a, a blessing that comes when we take refuge in God. Psalm 25, 20. Oh, guard my soul and deliver me. Let me not be put to shame, for I take refuge in you. There's a, there's a salvation there. He's going to save us. Psalm 46, 1. God is our refuge and strength, a very present help in trouble. God is our protector. Psalm 52, 7. Now listen to this one. It's going to contrast trusting, uh, taking uh, refuge in God versus refuge in something else. See the man who would not make God his refuge, but trusted in the abundance of his riches and sought refuge in his own destruction. So here in this psalm, he says, look, if you don't trust, if you don't take refuge in God, let's say you take refuge in money, in some type of worldly security. He says you're actually taking refuge in your own destruction. So what we see is to take refuge in God is a wise, blessed act of faith for the purpose of protection. It's an act of faith, and it's wise, and it's blessed. It's a good thing. To take refuge in God um, is, does not mean that we then run to God as if we were not with God already. So I think sometimes as Christians we think, okay, so bad things have happened. Run to God as if we weren't walking with God. But what do we know when we believe in God who dwells in us? God. So really as believers, we should never really be running to God because in one sense, God is always with us and in us and we are with him. And so rather, um, I want you to think of it like this. Uh, imagine a father holding his son's hand and they're walking down a sidewalk and it's late at night. They're walking hand in hand, and as they're going down the sidewalk, um, a man emerges from the shadows, maybe from an alley, and now he's walking towards them. Because the light, they can't make him out, it just looks dark. And so the son, who is holding his father's hand, squeezes it even tighter, and he's already next to him, but he just kind of moves in closer. You know when your kids are like walking on you? You know what I mean? Like they're on you, and you're kind of like, this is awkward. But he squeezes in. And as the father, you squeeze also and you pull in even closer. So you're already with him and you just come closer. You're embracing what is already true. The son takes refuge in the father by staying with the father, by moving closer to the one he's already close to. All the while, the father is also clinging to the son. And the son is thinking, oh, I'm safe with my father, with my daddy. I am safe. And in his head, he's going, I would not want to be here without my refuge. And the father is going, I am his refuge. I will protect him. I want you to think of it like that. I will take refuge in the Lord. To take refuge in the Lord is to cling to him, to cling to God as you already are holding on to him and he is holding on to you. Or, let me say it a little differently. Differently, To take refuge in the Lord is to be comforted by the truth of who God is and the knowledge that he loves you. So who God is and the truth, the knowledge that he loves you. And this is exactly what David does. And we're going we're gonna to see this. Because David is not saying bad things are happening. Guys, I'm just going to do some positive thinking now. Okay? God is my refuge and it will be okay. 
and you know, he just sits there as the arrows are flying at him. That's not what David is doing. This isn't the art of positive thinking. This isn't baseless faith, meaning this isn't faith without any warrant. David's not just saying, don't worry guys, God is good. You know, oftentimes what Christians say is, just have faith. Just have faith, but we don't actually ever explain that. So people are like, what does that mean? Just have faith. You know, someone's struggling, um, maybe it's a disease, maybe they lost one, maybe they just uh, lost um, a loved one, and so you say, man, just, just have faith. You just lost your job. Just have faith, buddy. I mean, when you say it like that, it's really hard to take it any differently than positive thinking. Just so you know that. Unpack that for people. Hey, trust in who God is, then walk through who God is. Walk through how you know that he loves you. Talk about the promises of God. Faith, uh, faith in God is always um, clinging to the promises of God. It's believing that they're true, and we know they're true in Jesus Christ. So, so walk people through that. David is not having baseless, unwarranted faith. This isn't positive thinking, because now he's going to say, this is who God is. I know that he loves me. And we see that in the reasons for David's response. Number one, God is the eternal king who dwells in his holy temple. If you look at verse 4, God dwells in his holy temple and his throne is in heaven. So what this means is that God's rule is above earth. Now ancient thought, higher the throne, higher the rule. Pretty simple, right? So if your rule is on a mountain, you obviously rule all those on the plains beneath you. So let's just keep taking this a few more notches. If your rule is in heaven, who do you rule? Everything. And here on earth, when there's chaos, whose rule is not in chaos? The one who sits on heaven. The one whose throne is in heaven. Who all the evil, all the wickedness down here turns things into chaos. And we say, uh, the foundations are destroyed. What can the righteous do? But God is sitting in his throne. He's saying perfect righteousness is occurring. His rule is not thwarted. So while the foundations of earth might seem to be in upheaval, God's rule is in perfect order. God never experiences his foundations being destroyed. So the first thing we see is God is this eternal king. He sits on high. The second thing we see is God is the righteous judge who loves the righteous and destroys the wicked. Now we don't see the word judge here. But just because we don't see the word judge doesn't mean it's there, right? I mean, we don't see the word trinity in the Bible, the fact that God is three in one. But through the Bible, we see that God is three persons, one essence. We see that. So just because we don't see the word judge doesn't mean it's not here. And so what we have here is, is God is said to see all that man does and test the children of man. He tests them. The word test means that he examines all that man does. So God is on his throne in heaven, and he sees everything that occurs here on earth. Do you know that? That's kind of scary and comforting at the same time, isn't it? Like he sees everything. Now, that doesn't mean just our actions. It means every thought that we have too. He sees everything that we do. We think everything. There's nothing that he misses. There's nothing that he misses. In the word, and in verse 5, we see that all who are not righteous, his soul hates. Now, if I said my soul hates something, like, like I don't like a lot of cheese on my stuff. Alright, so this, like, I don't really like cheesy things. I can do cheese on pizza and some stuff, but really cheesy pizza, I can't do. It's a texture thing. But I wouldn't say, my soul hates cheese. 
I mean, that, that's, if I said that, I mean, you'd think, like, I'm going to go into anaphylactic shock or something, or just die or explode if I even touch or look at it. So what we have here is God's not saying, look, I just, I just kind of don't like it. Kind of stepped on my toes there. Hey, try not to do it again. No, he hates it. We have to know this. God is a holy, perfect, righteous God, and he has great indignation against sin and wickedness. So verse 6, you want to know how much his soul hates it? He says, I will rain down fire and sulfur upon the wicked. Just think about that. I will rain it down on them. Now where else in the Bible do we see fire and sulfur being rained down on people? Interaction time. Where do we see it? Awesome. I was pretty confident we'd get that. Um, Sodom and Gomorrah, Genesis 19. Encourage you to read it. Um, these cities are full of wickedness. I mean, they're the picture of wickedness kind of in the Old Testament. All that occurred in these cities is lust, debauchery, sexual morality, all kinds of wickedness. So God destroyed them. I mean, he straight up leveled them. All throughout Scripture, Sodom and Gomorrah is also used as symbols of God's judgment on the wicked all throughout the bible old testament and new testament and so what we have is we have fire raining down leveling the wicked not only is that a picture of just the judgment that god has but it's a picture of his eternal wrath that will one day be poured out upon all those who do not believe in his son jesus christ it's a picture of hell That's what it is here, to be destroyed, but it's going to be an eternal destroying, an eternal suffering of fire and hell and suffering. So in this picture, so he's saying, I'm going to rain down. This isn't just a a bad day terminology. This is intense wrath of God coming upon the wicked. Why? Because God is judge. And he hates evil. In, in our country today, we have judges, some good, some bad, right? Like sometimes we're like, ah, it didn't really go the right way. God is a judge, and it always goes the right way. He never misses the correct judgment. It's perfect in every judgment. He examines all that takes place. The fact that God is the, is the supreme eternal king and righteous judge are truths that run through, all throughout the Bible. You can see those in almost every book of the Bible. And these truths are used to to comfort people, to warn them, uh, and also to promise judgment on those who practice sin. So I just want to spend a little bit more time here. I want you to see this, that God is a judge and he is king. And so I recently just got done reading the Minor Prophets. The Minor Prophets are gold for wanting to know who God is and to understanding his judgment and holiness. So sometimes they don't sound like a lot of fun because they are, they're full of judgment but in that we see god's holiness we see that he sees all things and he will bring judgment on the wicked not at all there's times that judgment seem or the wicked seem to be prevailing right minor prophets teaches us there's a day coming it won't prevail anymore they're, they're beautiful in that way. Now they're hard to read and the language is kind of hard so we need to read them over and over again um but they're beautiful for understanding who God is. So what I'm going to do is I'm just going to read a few passages, and as I do that, I just want you to soak in them. I don't want you to try to um, 
You can go back later and turn to them. So I put these on the screen so you can actually track with me as we go through them. And I just want you to just think about what it says about who God is, about his holiness, and about how much he hates sin. Number one, the Lord is a jealous and avenging God. The Lord is avenging and wrathful. The Lord takes vengeance on his adversaries and keeps wrath for his enemies. Notice, he keeps it for his enemies. There's a day coming. He's kept it, and he will pour it out. The Lord is slow to anger and great in power, and the Lord will by no means clear the guilty. His way is in the whirlwind and storm, and the clouds are the dust of his feet. That was Nahum 1, 2, and 3. This is verses 6 and 8. Who can stand? Oh, I got to keep moving through these. That's my bad. I control this now. It's a long story. Um, Who can stand before his indignation? Who can endure the heat of his anger? His wrath is poured out like fire, and the rocks are broken into pieces by him. The Lord is good, a stronghold in the day of trouble. He knows those who take refuge in him. But with an overflowing flood, he will make complete end of the adversaries and will pursue his enemies into darkness. Do you just see that? I mean, he's a righteous king. He will completely destroy those who have rebelled against him. Malachi. Notice the terminology. This is my memory verse for uh, this week. For behold, the day is coming burning like an oven when all the arrogant, all evildoers will be stubble. The day that is coming shall set them ablaze, said the Lord of hosts, so that it will leave them neither root nor branch. That means there's no hope, there's no remnant. They will not come back from this. It's loading. But as for you, It's moving around on me. We'll see if it comes. But for you who fear my name, the sun of righteousness shall rise with healing in its wings. You shall go out leaping like calves from the stall, and you shall tread down the wicked, for they will be ashes under the soles of your feet on the day when I act, says the Lord of hosts. Do you see that? And there's, there's judgment on the wicked. And those that love him will come leaping like calves out of the stalls. Zephaniah. Who's read Zephaniah lately? Awesome. But I'm telling you, these things are gold. Verse 17, chapter 1. I will bring distress on mankind, so they shall walk like the blind, because they have sinned against the Lord. Their blood shall be poured out like dust, and their flesh like dung. Neither their silver nor their gold shall be able to deliver them on the day of the wrath of the Lord. In the fire of his jealousy, all the earth shall be consumed for a full and sudden end he will make of all the inhabitants of the earth. You just hear that? Who can make such claims and carry them out? Only the king who sits on high. Only the one who perfectly judges everything who sees all mankind and nothing takes place without him so again these are deep tough passages and i admit they're not normally the ones we find on coffee cups although it'd be kind of cool although i don't know about the dung being spilled out that could be weird i get it but maybe they should be reminding us of really the truth of who god is we need character that's what we need to know about who god is we want to understand his character how does he act 
So God is the eternal king, righteous judge. He reigns in heaven. He sees everything. He loves the righteous. And he abhors sin. So just let that comfort you. Let that truth just flood over you. It's this truth that David, he, he's in this trial, and it comforts him. He's saying, I don't need to run. I don't need to run. God is my refuge. I'm clinging to Him. And so I just want you to think, if David is comforted with the knowledge that he has of God, now just think about it. He only has, you just take like the book of Samuel and go backwards from there. And most of all that, he doesn't have Chronicles. Yeah, that's right, Chronicles comes afterwards. So that's basically all, the, all that he has. We have everything that's happened after David, all the biblical account, and we have the cross of Jesus Christ. So we really know what it means that God is king and that God is judge and how much he hates sin. Because he hates sin so much that he sent his son, Jesus, the son of God, to earth to die on the cross. So Paul says in Galatians, this is how he says it, so that he would redeem us from the curse by becoming a curse for us. He takes the curse. He becomes the curse for us. Or as Paul says in Romans 3, Jesus became a propitious offering. Remember the word propitious? It's that word we don't use it at the grocery store, but we need to know it because it means what? Wrath absorber. What does Jesus do? He stands in our place and he absorbs the wrath of God that you and I should have absorbed. The wrath of God is so intense that that's why, that's why hell's eternal. It's not for 100 years, for 10 years. For those who rebel against God will absorb his eternal wrath. Well, how, how, how do we, finite creatures, take such a punishment? We can't, which is why hell is forever. So he sends forth his son Jesus that he would stand on the cross for us. And on the cross, at that period of time, he would fully absorb the wrath of God so that we who believe in him would be forgiven adopted and have peace with god that's how much he hates sin he's saying there's no way you can pay for it the only way is the sending forth of my son and it's going to mean his death so then we who believe in him can have life romans 5 1 it's a beautiful verse it says since we have been justified by faith we have peace with god through our lord jesus christ isn't that good news? Like that's the good news that we have. So here David, he knows, he knows about the wickedness. He knows that those who believe in, in God are saved. We have such greater assurance because we know that upon putting our faith in Jesus, we have been adopted. We truly are sons. The way God views Jesus, we are seen also as sons of God. We share in the very inheritance that Jesus shares. God has dealt with our sin at the cross so that we would spend eternity with him. And so what is our hope? Our hope is that we know that we're forgiven. <clears throat> we know that we've been made righteous. And what does that mean? Well, verse 7. For the Lord is righteous. He loves righteous deeds. So what happens for the righteous? The upright shall behold his face. That's, that's the hope. We'll actually get to see the face of God. This is why Jesus went to the cross. So ultimately, he would bring us to God. Because we can't be in his presence, because we're sinful. Faith trusts in God. It trusts in the fact that he's the eternal king. 
and their righteous judge. And that, our sins have truly been paid for. And we can trust in that. They haven't been wiped underneath the rug. God's not unrighteous because now we get to spend eternity with Him. He's fully righteous because our sin has been judged. Punishment has been dealt with. And now we enjoy the blessing of being with Him. This is how um, 1 John says it. 1 John chapter 3. Beloved, we are God's children now, and what we will be has not yet appeared, but we know that when He appears, we shall be like Him. Why? Because we shall see Him as He is. We will truly see God. Think about Revelation 21.3. And I heard a loud voice from the throne saying, Behold, the dwelling place of God is with man. He will dwell with them, and they will be His people, and God Himself will be with them as their God. Now I just tell you, David has amazing knowledge here for in his lifetime understanding the covenant promises up to him to know know that he's actually going to see the face of God is an amazing truth that he's embracing here that we only see much more clearly now because of Jesus. Revelation chapter 22, verse 4. They will see his face and his name will be on their foreheads. So remember, in the beginning, Genesis chapters 1, 2, and 3, where are we? We're in the garden. Who walks in the garden with us? God. There is a seeing of God. There is a enjoying of the presence of God. Then comes sin. We're completely separated from Him until Jesus comes. And then the hope is, because of Jesus, we're we're not in a garden, but we're in a city. And it's not going to be for a temporary period of time, but it's permanently in the city. His name has literally been written on our foreheads, showing that we are His and that we worship Him. And the good news that's the hope that we have when a bride walks down the aisle and she, she removes the veil from her face. And so that she and her groom, they're able to look at each other's eyes. Do they frown? Don't get married if you frown. <laughs> no, they're full of excitement and joy and wonder as they gaze in their eyes and they're, they're basking in everything that's taken place before them and all the future that they have in front of them. To see the face of God is to be full of excitement and joy. To see his face is to experience his perfect rule and his blessing. That's what it is. We're going to see the face of God. There's so much joy being expressed here in this psalm. That's what he has. That's why he's saying, I don't need to run. The hope for the righteous is that we will be with God forever in his presence. There's a day coming. The wicked will be judged. And, And the psalmist knows that. All, all righteousness, all foundations seem to be in upheaval at the moment. But he's not sitting there going forever in upheaval. He knows what's happening. He knows that he will be in the presence of God. He knows that the wicked will be judged. Well, one of the questions I had as going through here is David, David obviously knows that he's righteous, right? I mean, he says in verse 7, For the Lord is righteous, God's righteous, he loves righteous deeds, the upright shall behold his face how did david know he's the righteous like right that's a good question like how do we know so that kind of takes us to our our next question how do we know if we're righteous so i want you to imagine your child comes to you later today says mom dad how do i know that i'm saved how do i know that i'll be able to look at jesus how do i know that i'll be with him forever what would you say it's a good question right Maybe you could take them. So I encourage you, go ahead and turn to 1 John. 1 John's a gold mine here. Um, 1 John is amazing about assurance in God. 
It's amazing. It has so much to say there. So I just want to spend a few moments so that, that we know. Are we righteous? Because if we know we're righteous and we know that God is king and he's righteous, then we know that he loves us, right? And we'll have the same comfort that David has. So how do we know that we're righteous? Well, if you go to 1 John 5, 1, he says, and this is at the end of the book, everyone who believes that Jesus is the Christ has been born of God. And everyone who loves the Father loves whoever has been born of him. So you could, you could take your child and say, do you, do you believe in Jesus? The child says, yes. Well, then you've been born of God. Do you believe that Jesus is the king? The one who died on the cross and rose three days later that we could be forgiven? The son goes, yes. You've been born of God. That's what God's word says. But what if they pressed you? Because you have a little theologian in, in making here. What if they said, well, mom, dad, Shouldn't there be some type of evidence? Like, what's my life supposed to look like? How do I know? I mean, how do I know that I just don't think I believed in Jesus? How do I really know that I really did believe in Jesus? Because there's times that I kind of wonder if I believe in Jesus. So, so how do I know? You ever have that question? Maybe? Or, or let's just switch it up a little bit. Maybe we'll change the scenario. What would you say if your child comes to you and says, I know that I'm a believer, um, or says, I know that I'm a believer, but you as a parent are looking at them going, your life looks nothing like a believer. You ever have that? Sure, you've had that conversation or you've had that thought. What would you do at that moment? So again, 1 John has a lot to say about here. The Gospel of John has a lot to say. Um, you could go first one, 1 John chapter 1, verse 9. If you turn there, here it says, If we confess our sins, He is faithful and just to forgive us our sins and to cleanse us from all unrighteousness. So you, you turn to your child and say, do, do you confess? Do you ever repent? And they go, no, I don't need to repent. The Donald Trump answer, I've never asked for forgiveness. You just said that? Yeah, yeah it's, it's true. That might cause a little room for concern there. Should cause great room. So if we confess our sins, you turn to your child and say, do you repent of your sins? And they say, well, what sin? You can walk them through all that. But repentance of sin is evidence of our faith in God. But what if they, they press you on farther? Or, or you want to give them just more information? Well, number two, you can ask them, do you keep God's word? Go to 1 John chapter 2, verses 4 and 5. Here it says, whoever says, I know him, but does not keep his commandments is a liar. And the truth is not in him, but whoever practices or whoever keeps his word in him, truly the love of God is perfected. So you turn to your child. Do, do you read the word? Do you want to know the word? Do you want to obey it? And they say, no, I hate that thing. Then you don't love God. Because remember, the word comes from his breath. It's his word. It comes with his authority. So therefore, if we don't like his word, his authority, we don't like him. Let that all be an encouragement to read our Bibles. It's a way of expressing our love to Him. Um, so we say, if you keep His Word, now this, does it mean perfectly? Does it mean you never sin? No. Go back to number one. Do you confess your sins? Why do I need to confess my sins? Because I sin. I read His Word. I try to keep Him. Oops, I didn't keep Him. I can, keep, I can confess my sin with the knowledge that He will forgive me. So you come with Him. Do you keep the Word? But you, you say, well, you know, three is always a good number, so I want to make sure I at least give three reasons here. Um, so number three, you take them to 1 John chapter 2, verses 10 through 11. 
Whoever loves his brother abides in the light, and in him there is no cause for stumbling. But whoever hates his brother is in the darkness and walks in the darkness and does not know where he is going because the darkness has blinded his eyes. Brother is referring to brother in Christ here. We're talking family. We're talking church. If you don't like the church, then you don't. Imagine a guy coming to you and saying, I love you, but your wife I hate. Would you be like, hey, buddy, like we're best friends now? No. So imagine coming to Jesus, I love you, I hate your bride. That's not going to honor him. And especially if by loving and trusting in him, we become members of this bride. So evidence that we love God is that we love the church. We're involved with the church. We're helping with the church. We're volunteering in the church. That doesn't mean we're always inside the building, but that we're, we're encouraging one another. We know each other. Our welcome time should be something that is an overflow of the love that we already have and are expressing for each other throughout the week. We're not saved by our works. We're saved by faith in Jesus. But our works give evidence to our faith. And this is what David means when he says he loves righteous deeds. He loves those who are righteous because they have righteous deeds verse 7. So as we close, um, as you leave here today, you're going to read something disturbing in the news. There's going to be something that comes up today, this week. You're going to have a neighbor or a co-worker, and they're going to come to you, and they're going to dump their life on you, and they're going to complain about the world and about life and about everything. Do you ever have that happen? Like, I think, like, if you're not, I don't know where you live. <laughs> um, but those are normal kinds of things. So I want to encourage you. How do you respond at that moment? Yep, life is terrible. Yep, let's run for the hills. Or how is this passage going to inform the way you now communicate, interact with your neighbor or with your own self when you, when you read something and you feel your own emotions beginning to rise? How can you help lead someone to say, you know what, I do agree. There's a lot of wickedness in this world. I do agree. Sometimes I'm wondering if anyone's in control here. But then come back to the knowledge of, but but listen, I I have faith in God. And, And I have scripture that says he's slow to anger, meaning he doesn't always bring judgment right away. And the reason he doesn't is because he's allowing more people to repent. And 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 to communicate the fact that he's king and he's judge, and that there is a day coming when all the wickedness will be set right. And then you can encourage him, yeah, I encourage you to trust in Jesus. That you know that you will have peace with God and that you will experience his blessings forever. I want to encourage you, how does this text affect the way you interact with people this very week? Because you're going to have a conversation where the character of God is going to be able to influence how you respond to the person and how you can take them from a spirit of fear to a spirit of peace and trust in God. Let's pray. Father, we come to you. And we just thank you that you are God. We thank you that you are king. We thank you that you are holy. We thank you that you are a judge and you examine every one of our hearts and that you know us and that you see us. We thank you that you, you're slow to anger. Oh God, how we all have reaped the blessing of you being slow to anger. The fact that we've had opportunity to believe in your son Jesus, that we'd be adopted into your family forgiven and made righteous. Father, I pray today 
that we'd be greatly comforted by the truth of who you are, that you are God, that you are our king, that your, your rule, your foundations are not in upheaval. And though life here may seem crazy, we know that you are in control and that you are sovereignly orchestrating all events so that they will lead to the return of your son Jesus and that wicked will be judged and the righteous will be with you forever. And we look forward to the day that we will behold your face. God, I pray that for every one of us, that we want to see your face. I pray that if we're here and there are some people here who don't have that desire or they're just thinking that sounds strange, that Lord, by the power of your spirit, I just pray that through your word that you would grow that in them, that they would have a desire to see your face, that they would have a desire to just bask in your love and in your joy and in your presence, to delight in you for all their days. God, I pray that we would know that we are righteous not because of a righteousness that we have earned, but a righteousness that you have given through your son, Jesus Christ. Lord, I pray that there is no one that leaves here today that does not understand what it is to be righteous and the comfort, the hope, the peace that is there knowing that your son has absorbed the wrath of God for us. Father, be with us today in your name, in your name, Jesus, amen. A couple questions real quick. If you want to have a seat, you can. A um, couple questions. If a Christian disobeys God, do they lose their salvation? Probably the thought behind that is, can the righteous become unrighteous? Um, and that kind of idea. Um, John 6 says, For I have come down, this is Jesus speaking, For I have come down from heaven, not to do my own will, but the will of him who sent me. And this is the will of him who sent me, that I should lose nothing of all that he has given me, but raise it up on the last day. For this is the will of my Father, that everyone who looks on the Son and believes in him should have eternal life, and I will raise him up on the last day. So there, there seems to be a, a link between those whom the Father has given to the Son, the Son receives, and promises that he will raise them up on the last day. Um, so I do believe in assurance of salvation. However, I do believe also in the way to know that is not by looking at a decision made 20 years ago, but it's by do I believe in Jesus today? Am I repenting today? Because we can all look back and say, well, you know, when I was six, I was baptized and all this, but, but did you actually believe? The, the, the test is, is, is there evidence? And so um, I encourage you, if you're wondering, don't look back and find your answers 20 years ago. It's great if you do and you're able to see how God has grown you, but let your assurance be today. I, find, I do love his word. I am wanting to repent. I am wanting to be more and more like Jesus. So I encourage you um, to look at it that way. One other question. Um, so if we take refuge in God, what will that look like? I love open-ended questions. Um, I don't know. Uh, that's a good question. Um, the only thing that I could, um, when I was looking at that, thinking how to respond, is, 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 is for one, so, so God's word, it addresses every situation, right? Kind of. Like, it kind of addresses every situation, but it doesn't give you, like, when you leave here, which way do you go, right or left? You know, where are you going to go eat today? Hobjacks? I mean, like, like, it doesn't tell you all that kind of stuff, um, it's not supposed to. What God's word does is it changes us, transforms our character so that we think more and more like Jesus. Does that make sense? So it's not about necessarily telling us what to do in every situation, but conforming us so that we would think like Jesus in every situation. 
And I think when that happens, we'll know what it is to take refuge in God. And also, we will then be able to say, like with Paul does in Romans chapter 8, with his confidence, where he says, starting in verse 33, Who shall bring any charge against God's elect? It is God who justifies. Who is it to condemn? Christ Jesus is the one who died. More than that, who was raised, who is at the right hand of God, who indeed is interceding for us. Who shall separate us from the love of Christ? Now just think. Think foundations of the world being destroyed right now. And then think these verses. Who shall separate us from the love of Christ? Shall tribulation, distress, or persecution, or famine, or nakedness, or danger, or sword, as it is written, for your sake we are all being killed all day long. We are are regarded as sheep to be slaughtered. So here it is. The foundations are destroyed. No, in all these things, we are more than conquerors through him who loved us. For I am sure that neither death, nor life, nor angels, nor rulers, nor things present, nor things to come, nor powers, nor height, nor depth, nor anything else in all creation will be able to separate us from the love of Christ Jesus and our Lord. I think that's what it means to take refuge in God. And that's what it's going to look like. The exact situation, I have no clue. No clue what that will look like. Um, That can change. But what we do know is that we can have joy in God. Um, if you have questions afterwards, love to talk to you, love to pray with you. Andrew will be up front afterwards. Um, so if any of you, especially parents or students, um, you want to talk to him, get a better understanding. Also, youth group starts this Tuesday. It's Tuesday at 7. Um, so youth group starts this Tuesday at 7. So, um, and if any of you are interested in that little ninja warrior uh, over at Summit Church, come see me. I'll make sure you have all the information.